Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for coming to us. We're lost without you. We welcome your presence, Lord, today. We rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us and what you continue to do. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Will you stay on your feet and read this scripture with me? The text of Isaiah that Jesus fulfilled completely. Read it with me. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His peace is with us today. You may be seated. Let's continue to worship. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. My parents um, named me Jeffrey Thomas Johnson. The uh, middle name Thomas is uh, for my grandfather, my mother's father, uh, John Thomas Crawford. And uh, J.T. Crawford, as he was known, was a Texan through and through as is my mother, and uh, she is uh, to this day thrilled that uh, one of her sons and his family uh, live in Texas. Uh, she'd be here if she could. Uh, J.T. Crawford, John Thomas Crawford, was, uh, was a tall and uh, strong man, as I remember him. Uh, I didn't inherit his height. I inherited his hairline and his nose. Um, hopefully, I also uh, inherited his calm but uh, strong demeanor, and hopefully I will not, as I age, begin to snore like my granddad Crawford did. Uh, when he got in a recliner and put his head back, it was thunder time. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, it was brutal, and, and so far, that's not me, is it, Julie? Okay, so that's, that's good to know. Uh, my first name, Jeffrey, means God's peace. Uh, 
God's peace. I don't think my parents thought too much about that. I don't think, I'm pretty sure in their day when they were naming kids that they weren't looking at books to see what names mean and, and all of that. I don't think that was quite as popular as it is kind of today. I don't, I don't think they thought too much about Jeffrey meaning God's peace. I think they just liked the way it sounded. And they put it with the middle name to go after my grandfather. And uh, in those early years of my life, um, I'm pretty confident from, from my own memories and from what I've been told that, that uh, my, uh, my character was not a reflection of my name, that I was not particularly a peaceful child. Um, I had a, a very strong temper. And uh, you can ask my uh, older brother, Michael, about that, who was the best agent of provocation for that <laughs> temper. Um, and I, I threw pretty much everything I could get my hands on at him at one time or another in my life. Terrible things like, like baseball bats and baseballs and anything I could get in, in my anger. There was a lady that was in our life uh, uh, that lived with my grandparents, and she was... Uh, um, uh, a housekeeper who also cleaned other houses in, in the community, but also kind of a nanny had been that way to my dad and, and his sister and, and then to me and my brother. Her name was Adeline, sweet uh, little lady to us. And uh, Adeline was convinced that one day Jeffrey, God's peace, Johnson, was going to wind up in the penitentiary. That was, <laughs> she, was she was convinced of that and uh, shared that with a few people. What do we name, how do we name kids? It's, it's interesting. I, I heard the, this story the other day about this guy in, uh, up in uh, Long Island, New York, and uh, his name was Eric Negron, and, and he was a huge, huge Star Wars fan. Huge Star Wars fan. Had, had Star Wars uh, tattoos all over his body. Um, different symbols from, from th those movies. And uh, even though he was in his 30s, he, he slept between Star Wars sheets that, that he ordered. You know, if, if you do something like that, I don't, I don't, just don't put it on Facebook. I don't think you should, I don't know if you want to share that kind of information. And he wanted to name his children. He'd had a girlfriend for several years, and they had kind of talked about marriage some, but when, when he, he talked about naming their kids, he wanted to name them after characters of Star Wars. Now, if you, if you know much about that, and I don't know a ton, but I know some of the more prominent names, and I, I guess if you named a child Hans or Luke or Leia, maybe even Darth, <laughs> that, that might be a little creepy, but, I mean, if you were to name a child Chewbacca <laughs> or R2-D2 or C-3PO or even Yoda, I mean, that, that would just be a little weird, wouldn't it? A little strange. Well, the girlfriend gave this guy an ultimatum. And she said, you've got to choose between me or Star Wars. And he picked Star Wars, <laughs> as you could guess. And she's gone. So that's that story. So be careful if, you haven't, if you're having children and uh, just what you're going to name those kids and how, how important it is to you. In, in the days when the Lord was born, names meant... Uh, a little more. They were a little more important than, um, than the way they are now. It was just much more important than the way they sounded. Matthew said that the child to be born to Mary and Joseph was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. 
Isaiah's prophecy that we find in Isaiah chapter 7. And then it's used in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1 when it says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, in Jesus' life, as we read in, in Matthew's gospel and the other gospels, there's no evidence that any of his friends or family or even his followers ever called him by that name. That, that when he showed up, they would say, here comes Emmanuel. There's, there's no evidence uh, of that. Instead, Emmanuel was more of a, a title, a title that uh, was spoken about by the prophet that Jesus fulfilled and, and a, a title reflective of who he would be. And he walked in the shoes of the text. And you go way back in, in the beginning of the scripture and look at the book of Leviticus. And yes, there is some stuff in Leviticus that's not uh, just rules and laws. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12, it says this, God speaking, I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Matthew felt very strongly that that's who Jesus was, the God who is with us. And he really frames his gospel in that way. He begins in this first chapter describing Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, and he closes out his gospel with Jesus saying the words, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. But we know Jesus much, much better by the name Jesus, the name that the angel prescribed for him. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You are to name him, say it with me, Jesus. You are to name him Jesus. Now, that name to us is very, very special. It, it's even holy to us. That's why we ought to be very careful not to use that name in any kind of uh, derogatory way or profane way. But in the days when he was born, Jesus was a pretty common name. Pretty common. Jesus actually is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Or if we were to pronounce it in Hebrew, it would be Yeshua. And there were lots of little Yeshuas running around the streets of Israel in those days. The name does have a significant meaning. It means the Lord saves. And so when, when parents named their kids Joshua or Yeshua, they were saying, we're talking about salvation when we name this child. If you gave your son that name, it would be a reflection, most likely, of your desire for your nation, for your people to know salvation, for salvation to come to Israel. And let's be reminded, they were a small conquered, oppressed nation. And they'd been that way for centuries. There'd been all kinds of, you can you know, read through the history of the Old Testament, there's all kinds of Assyria and Egypt and, and uh, Syria and Persia and all of these conquering 
conquering people that came in and took them over and took them as slaves at times and the exiles and all of those kinds of things. And now in this time, it's the Romans. The Romans who have conquered and control. They're the latest in the, in the lines of the reigns of tyranny over Israel. Most people in Israel, when they were talking about salvation, were talking about salvation from their enemies. Salvation from their conquerors. A physical salvation. And the significance of a Savior coming from the line of David was he would come from the line of a great warrior king. The greatest warrior our nation's ever known. The one that you can make movies about. The hero who conquered the giant. Who saved us from the Philistines. They were looking for that kind of hero and savior. When you think about it, they weren't really looking for the son of God as much as they were the son of David. And I think in a lot of ways, they're not necessarily that different from us in that regard. Now, we often look for salvation. People in general look for salvation, look to be rescued. And usually when we're talking about salvation in in a real way, it's not so much that we're talking about the salvation of our souls. We're talking about salvation from our situation, from our enemies, from our circumstances. Salvation from our mess. Not, not so much what we might have done ourselves to bring about the mess. Just, God, come in and rescue. Come in and clean up this mess. God does that kind of thing. You look in the history, just example, he sent Moses And they were physically saved, physically delivered from slavery in Egypt. He sent David and conquered the Philistines, and they were were freed from, from the battles with those enemies for a good season. But the people of Israel, they often missed another thread of hope that was in the Old Testament prophecies about a Messiah, about a Savior, about salvation. They often missed the thread that talked about salvation from their sins, which was the most important aspect of all. And that was to be fully realized in the child spoken of in Matthew chapter 1. The baby whose name means salvation. The angel said to Joseph, and you are to give him the name Jesus. For he, notice this right here, the the ending of that verse, for he, and remember, he's the subject. If I I could remember how to diagram a sentence, I'd try to do that for you, but I kind of gave up on that a long time. Does anybody else know why we did that? that? Was that helpful? Do they still do that? You still diagram sentences, teachers? Is that going on? Anybody else get lost in that? Things that look like trees and words all over them and, and subjects and predicates and, and, and all of that stuff. 
Well, if we were doing that, the subject here would be he. And we need to remember this. The subject of the big story and the subject of Christmas, the subject of our story is Jesus. And he, what will he do? What's the, the predicate or the verb in the sentence? He will save. He will save. He will do what the prophecies have cried out for and said he will do. What the people are looking for, he is coming, bringing salvation, and he's bringing it for his people. His people. Notice that possessive there. His people. And that's the way he views everyone in this room today. As, as his. For he will save his people from what? From their sins. Their sins. Not their situations. Though he can do that. From their sins. Not their enemies or persecutors. Though he can do that. He will save his people from their sins. Not their sicknesses. Even though he can do that. But their sins. There's ownership there. Their sins. Their sins. The choices we make freely to do what God has warned us not to do. Our sins. The choices we make to not do what God has told us to do. Our sins. My sin. Yours. The actions, that, the actions that cause a break, that cause a break in our relationship with God. He came to save us from our sins. I like the way Max Licato says it. He says, it is man who creates the distance. It is Jesus who builds the bridge. I was uh, having a conversation with Pastor Matt, our youth pastor, th this week. And uh, as a lot of preachers do, you, you, you sometimes start verbalizing your thoughts about what you might have to say to, to folks on Sunday. And talking about the, the subject matter. And Matt said something that really struck me. He said, there are times I feel like as a youth pastor, like I'm standing on the banks of a river. And I know that, that ahead, there's this huge waterfall. This huge waterfall. And the current's starting to, to pick up speed. And, and I'm, I'm, yelling out, I'm yelling out to kids and saying, Hey, swim over here. Swim over here. Don't, don't keep going in that direction. There's, this water, there's a waterfall up there. Swim over here. Don't... Don't keep going that direction before the current gets too strong and you, and you get taken over the edge and smashed on those rocks or maybe even drowned. It's a good visual. There's a lady named Rebecca Pippert who's a speaker and author. And she was doing some graduate work 
um, at the uh, School of Psychology at Harvard University, you know, one of our nation's most prestigious places. And she talked about a day when she attended two very different events in that community. She went to a graduate-level psychology class at Harvard University. And then later that day, she went to a, a Bible study, an evangelical Christian Bible study adjacent to Harvard. And she offered these, these differing observations of the two groups that, uh, that she met with that day. And both of them talked about their, their faults and failures and problems and sins, or at least that was supposed to be what they were addressing. She said the first, uh, the first group, the students in that graduate-level psychology class were, were extraordinarily open and candid, honest about their problems. In that, in that gathering, it wasn't at all uncommon to hear somebody speak up and, and say things like, I'm angry, I'm afraid, I'm jealous. There, there wasn't a lot of denial of, or admission of problems uh, going on. They, they were very open about their problems and, and were talking to that group about them. But the more they talked about it, though, the, the less they seemed to have any clue about what could be done about those things. Having confessed, for example, their, their inability to forgive someone who had hurt them deeply, they just talked about how they had no idea how to resolve that issue in their life. And then uh, she went to the Bible study. And she said the contrast was striking. She said no one in that group spoke openly about his or her problems. There was a lot of talk, a lot of discussion about God's answers and God's promises. But there was very little from that group of people in terms of honesty and admission about their own problems and failures and sins. Or even identifying somebody else's. All they would say was like, well, so-and-so is struggling and needs prayer. She said to me, it seemed like this. The first group, the psychology class, they seem to have all the problems and no answers. And the second group had all the answers and no problems. Matthew's gospel and the name of Jesus tell us that God's actions are aimed at rescuing people. That's what God's aiming at. At the heart of God is redemption, rescue, salvation, reconciliation. God's actions, and they're fully personified and made real in Jesus, are aimed at rescuing people from our helpless, sinful plight. I really, I really do believe God is interested and concerned about your situations. Some of you have some really difficult situations that you face even today. Some of you have some really hard circumstances that you're living in. And I believe God 
is concerned about those things. And often, thank the Lord by His grace, He often delivers us out of those things. But the truth is, that's not His main mission, to save us from our situations. He came to save us from our sins. To forgive us. To transform us so that, that our lives and our choices would reflect His will and His love. And that the distance between our heart and His heart When, um, when our human efforts to fix ourselves and each other, when we get to the place where we admit and confess <laughs> those things, the promise is He is then there to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Jamie, if you'd come ahead. But it's if we confess. Are you, are you paying attention? The forgiveness and the help and the salvation is there if we confess. If we admit. If we seek forgiveness. You know what I believe? In this story, I believe that Joseph was a good guy. And I, I wrote about that if you're reading any of those devotionals that the staff is sending out. My feelings were hurt a little bit when a couple of people confessed to me this week in my life group <coughs> that they weren't reading them. I was a little hurt by that. But I talked about Joseph. Joseph was a good guy. Or maybe that's in the one that's coming up tomorrow. I don't know. I get them confused. I really do. I believe he's a good guy. If, if you were to come up to me today and ask me about somebody else here in this church that I can look out and see today, those of you that I know, and I, I at least know most of you a little bit, I, I think my description, yeah, hey, he's a good guy. Yeah, she's a very nice, nice lady. But I believe that Joseph recognized who he was as a human being and what that means he knew his own heart new choices he'd made and I believe that Joseph made a confession of his sinfulness and at the same time a confession of his faith in God when he followed through on the angel's direction to him part of that was taking Mary in spite of the circumstances they were in and what people would say about that but I think the biggest part of that was when the little baby was born and Joseph named him Jesus the Lord saves is that the name that
that you know him by? And does the meaning of his name have the meaning it should in your life today? Would you bow your heads with me? Because I need you, Jesus, to come to my rescue. Where else can I turn? There's no other name by which I am saying. Capture me with your grace and I will follow. I need you, Jesus, to come to my rescue. Where else can I turn? There's no other name by which I am saved. Capture me. So we pray together this morning. Open your heart up. What the Lord says to you, if you know today that there's distance between you and God, ask the Lord to reveal anything in your life that's creating that distance. If there's any choices that you've made and that you are making now that you need to confess and say, Lord, I recognize that is disobedience, that's sinful, it's creating distance between me and you. Would you confess that now? Trust in his forgiveness, his power to save you and change you. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again so that we would not be dominated by our sins so that we would not be conquered by them and be doomed to live a sinful lifestyle that's destructive to us and to others around us and creates that distance between us and the Lord. He came and he did what he did and he lives today and has sent his Holy Spirit into the church and into the hearts of believers so that we can live with strength and hope and peace and with his conquering grace over our sins. If you need to confess any of that today, do it. If you need God's rescue in your circumstances and situations and sicknesses, don't be afraid to ask for that as well. He loves you and has all the best in his heart for you. Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence and with us today. God, we live in a, in a 
in a world that is dark so many times. The darkness these last few days has seemed so heavy in our nation. And God, we weep for those families in Connecticut today. None of us could imagine if those were our children, our grandchildren, if those were our friends and teachers of that school. And Lord, we don't understand the full evil that was in action there. But we understand some of it. Because we know the things that we've done and said that we wish we hadn't. We saw their results and the destruction and the hurt, the pain that it caused. And we've asked for your forgiveness for those things, Lord. And, and again, today, if there's anything like that, we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, we pray that once again in this season that we would see a great light. A light living on those living in the shadows. And that we'd come out of that darkness into your light, Lord. And walk with you, the God who is with us and who walks among us. And if we put our faith and trust in you, the one who will be with us always. Lord, we pray today for our church that the power of the Holy Spirit would begin to move in such a way that we would move out of complacency and, and call people to know you. We pray for our community that presence of God would be made known through all the believers that are in this part of your world. We pray for our nation, for our president, for our other elected leaders. God, remind us as, as followers of your example that uh, we're Christ-like in what we say and do even with those who disagree with us. And Lord, again, for, for that community in Newtown, Connecticut, we pray for your peace. Jesus, thank you for living up to your name and being our Savior. And we pray this in that holy name. Amen.